0: Hey, movie fans, my name is Benjamin Thevenin, and this is Movies as Mirrors, a podcast about representation in movies. I'll be your guide this week as we talk to researcher and professor Sarah Coyne about the 1995 film A Little Princess. Past guest of the show, Savannah Keenan-Croft, also joins our conversation about director Alfonso Cuaron's first Hollywood feature film. And don't worry, it's okay if you haven't seen the movie, though I would recommend watching it, and it is also on Netflix. Uh, We'll give you all the details you'll need to follow our conversation. A Little Princess is loosely based on the book of the same name by author Frances Hodgson Burnett, written in 1905. This was her first of only two novels to be published, with the other being the beloved classic The Secret Garden. The movie owes as much to the 1939 film adaptation of the story, starring Shirley Temple. Now, when signed on to direct another film at Warner Brothers, director Alfonso Cuaron came across the script for A Little Princess and fell in love with the story, eventually convincing the studio to let him direct it instead. And,
1: and it was an amazing, beautiful experience doing that film. Uh, I guess that I was going through a similar process, similar process uh, as the girl, uh, trying to find her own, uh, my own spiritual awakening. Uh, and... Uh, it pretty much came in sync with, uh, with with doing that film.
0: A Little Princess launched Quaron's career in Hollywood, including movies like Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Children of Men, Gravity, and Roma. But the movie's depiction of the wonders and pains of childhood, and specifically girlhood, is the focus of our conversation today. Now, A Little Princess tells a story of Sarah Crewe, played by Liesl Matthews, the 10-year-old spirited daughter of a wealthy widowed captain of the British Army, played by Liam Cunningham. Raised in India, she spends her days exploring the beautiful landscapes and getting lost in mystical folk tales. Her journey begins in 1914, when her doting father is summoned to the front lines of World War I. She must leave her home and enroll in the boarding school her late mother attended in New York City. As she adjusts to a new world of repetition and strict rules, her imaginative mind and kind spirit clashes with the stern and unforgiving headmistress, Miss Minchin, played by Eleanor Braun. Just as she begins to feel at peace and make friends, tragedy strikes. Sarah's father, who's been wounded in battle and is suffering amnesia, is proclaimed dead, leaving Sarah a penniless orphan. Without her fortune, Sarah is forced by Miss Minchin to work as a servant at the school and Sarah's belief that every girl is a princess is tested to its limits as she endures the cruel treatment by her former classmates and headmistress, but she uses the power of imagination and compassion to keep hope alive for herself and others suffering around her.
1: I believe that you are and always will be my little princess. You'll be going to the same school your mother went to when she was your age.
2: Girls, say hello to our new arrival, Miss Sarah Crewe.
1: Hello, Hello, Sarah. Sarah. Goodbye, Princess. The New York Times calls it joyous, irresistible, bright and beautiful.
2: Handsome stable boy Pierre. The arrows set through the air. (gasps) A group of mermaids appeared. From now on, there will be no more make believe at this school.
0: So, before we discuss the themes of imagination and self worth, hope, uh, and all in the context of its representation of girlhood, let me introduce my guests today. First, a friend and a former student of mine. She has a master's degree in family and media with an emphasis on gender. She's a professor at UVU, past guest of the show, Savannah Keenan-Croft. Savannah was kind enough to co-host the episode with me this week. Savannah, how are you doing?
1: Pretty good. How are you?
0: I'm good, thanks. Good. Thanks for coming on. (laughs) Yeah, of course. And you're a mutual friend of our uh, guest today as well. Yeah, Um, yeah. Our guest this episode is a professor in the School of Family Life here at BYU. She's received international recognition for her groundbreaking research on the intersections of media, children, and gender, among other things. Dr. Sarah Coyne, thanks so much for being here.
2: Yeah, thanks, Ben and Savannah, for hosting this.
0: Absolutely. I'm really pleased to be able to talk to you about this movie, which has been a favorite of mine for a long time, and hear your perspectives on it. So first, Sarah... Let's talk about you and your choice to um, talk about A Little Princess today.
2: Sure, yeah. So you asked me what my favorite movie was or one that really represented girlhood the best. And I study media effects, right? So I talk about media all the time. So this is like asking me which is one of my favorite children, right? (laughs) So it was kind of hard. I thought about it a long time. And A Little Princess to me, I would probably say is my favorite movie. When I think about the depth of meaning uh, for me as a woman, when I think about my own daughter and the way that she's growing up and the impact that the messages in that movie can have on someone's self-worth are just phenomenal. So my name is Sarah, um, which means princess in Hebrew.
0: I had not known that before you brought that up before the recording. That's fascinating.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So I grew up my entire life knowing that my literal name meant princess. My email address included the word princess in it until I turned 30. And I'm like, I got (laughs) to be a little more professional (laughs) here. Like, screw up. I was called the pineapple princess in high school. Like, (laughs) So princesses have always been a very large part of my life. So When I saw this film, and I'd read the book before, it touched on a deep nerve with me. So the little girl's name is also Sarah, right, in the book. And so I just connected at this really deep level very early on. So it was released in 1995. I was a teenager at the time and saw the beauty then. And I've probably seen it a dozen times throughout my life.
0: That's great. So you have these these personal connections, sharing this name, sharing this connection with a princess, uh, being a woman yourself, having a daughter yourself, but then also as a as a researcher, someone who looks at representations of gender in media, uh, how this kind of influences children's perceptions of their selves. But also, you've actually done um, quite a bit of research regarding princess culture in media as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Sure, yeah. It's probably not surprising, right? Given that history <laughs> I just shared that I'd end up as my job doing research on on princesses. So I've studied for a long time how media impacts children and families uh, with a focus specifically on women. And I started to notice that princess culture and Disney princesses in particular were extremely popular among preschool age children. I had a preschool daughter at the time who was fully on into princesses, right? And at the time, there was kind of the princess wars going on. So Peggy Ornstein published this book, Cinderella Ate My Daughter, saying how princesses were really negative for girls, kind of the start of all of our problems with body image and sexual objectification and all these things. And then there was another very, very loud voice saying, no, you know, princesses are magical, they're an essential part of childhood. What do we do about that, right? So there had been very little research on princesses. So I decided uh, to look at Disney princess culture and really see how that does impact both girls and boys over time.
0: So this is fascinating, Sarah. Um, and I know, Savannah, you worked on some of this research uh, with Sarah on kind of the effects of princess culture. Yeah. I'm curious, what were some of the findings of yeah. the studies?
1: Honestly, it was really interesting for me, especially as a graduate student who wasn't involved in every part of it to kind of go back and read the finished product of what Sarah had done with the study. And basically what she and her we found was that girls who are really engaged with this princess culture have like lower self-esteem and like kind of feel limited in like what like, oh, I don't want to do as much math or like maybe I'm not going to be as good at science as my peers because they are kind of getting too involved in the like idea of like being a princess. Would you say that that's fair representation?
2: Yeah, so they the just findings? really prescribe strongly to gender stereotypes yeah. about women, which is the idea that I have to be more passive and weak and really kind and friendly. Right, so that's kind of a good side of it, but you're right, can't take risks or I'm not good at math or science, or I need to marry somebody who's really attractive and earns a lot of money. So what we find is that girls who really prescribe strongly to gender stereotypes limit themselves in some significant ways. And so what we know is that princesses on the whole tend to be kind of stereotyped, especially early princesses, and especially the way that parents talk about princesses. They often focus on appearance-related things, how pretty they look, you know, the merchandise and so on. So the message that they're getting from princess
1: culture is one of a, a stereotyped one.
0: Yeah. It's fascinating.
1: You also did find too that boys who participated largely in this like princess culture were kinder and more empathetic, right? Than other boys.
2: Yeah. So some really positive effects for boys. They yeah. they were more prosocial, they had better body image, if yeah. I remember right. And so it's you know, not typical for boys to really engage in princess culture. Yeah. But they tended to be less male gender stereotyped, right? More androgynous, which is a really healthy place yeah. to be. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: So I'm curious, Sarah, with this background, um, watching A Little Princess, what scenes you find to be most uh, compelling representations of girlhood?
2: That's a great question. And my answer is going to be interesting considering my research on princesses and the fact that we kind of found that it leads to more gender stereotypes and some issues, right? My very favorite scene in this movie, and I would say almost in any movie that I've ever seen, is toward the end of the film. So Sarah's lost her fortune, right? She's this servant in the household. She lives in the attic in these tattered clothes. And uh, Miss Minchin comes up and catches her telling the girls these stories about India and and imagination. And Miss Minchin sends the girls away. And uh, she tells Sarah something like this, right? Now is not the time to uh, engage in ridiculous fantasies. It's time to be a productive member of society. Time you learn, Sarah Crew, that you're not a little princess anymore. And and I get emotional every time I talk about this scene because it's just so beautiful. Um, She says, yes, ma'am, I understand, but I don't believe it. And then uh, she says, every girl is a princess, whether you live in tiny old attics, whether you are ugly or pretty or in tattered clothes or regardless of circumstances, every girl is a little princess. And she says, didn't your father ever teach you that? Didn't he? And there is so much beauty and truth in that statement because I think the way we define princess in the normal world is this rich, spoiled, bratty girl who has everything that she wants and who wears pretty dresses and they sparkle and, you know, that kind of way. But Sarah's definition of princess is so core. It speaks to this potential that each girl has to achieve anything she puts her mind to, which is reflective of girlhood, right? No matter what you look like, no matter your circumstances, you have so much potential. And I also find um, that it speaks to the divinity within each individual girl and each individual boy, right? So from a religious standpoint, you know, we believe that we are literal princesses, daughters of a king and a queen. And so to me, that scene represents just the beauty that is girlhood.
0: I I agree. Like, I think that that scene stands out to me as, like, a really, really powerful—the um, Her, the p- girl's performance is is remarkable in that scene. Yeah, she's good. And then the um, response that Miss Minchin has, right, that you can tell that Sarah's really touched a nerve, that maybe the reason why she is as cruel and kind of unforgiving as Miss Minchin is, is, is the result of her not having been taught that and not recognizing that kind of value within herself and— And that's what's really cost her that kind of happiness.
2: Yeah, Miss Minchin, you kind of hate throughout the whole film. Like, she has very few redeeming qualities. But in that moment, I feel really sorry for her. Yeah. Because you're right. Like, she missed that message that every little girl needs to hear. It's time you learned, Sarah Crew, that real life has nothing to do with your little fantasy games. It's a cruel, nasty world out there. And it's our duty to make the best of it. Not to indulge in ridiculous dreams, but to be productive and useful. Do you understand what I'm saying?
0: Yes, ma'am. Good. But I don't believe in it.
2: Don't tell me you still fancy yourself a princess. Oh, good God, child! look around you. Or better yet, look in the mirror.
0: I am a princess. Oh. All girls
2: are. Even if they live in tiny old attics, even if they dress in rags, even if they aren't pretty, or smart, or young. They're still princesses. All of us. Didn't your father ever tell you that? Didn't he? If I find you up here with any of the girls again, I will throw you out into the street!
1: So you were just talking about your study, Sarah, and kind of how you found that maybe engaging a ton in this princess culture isn't super helpful for girls. So how do you feel like this representation of being a princess is different from maybe what we're seeing in the Disney princess culture that's not so helpful?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question and an interesting one because I have been called a princess hater. I've been Told I need to be fired from my job, I'm a bad mother, called terrible names because of this that princess really You
0: literally got hate mail, you said.
2: I, like, actual physical hate mail <laughs> oh, from gosh. BYU sent to my office. It's the only time that's ever happened over princesses, right? <laughs> so it would seem contradictory that a little princess and that particular scene is my very favorite scene, yeah. right? So the reason it's my favorite scene is because I think it speaks to the core of what girlhood is, right? Again, we misinterpret princess culture. And the scene, the reason that I love the scene and this movie so much is that a princess is almost synonymous with girlhood, but again, not the glitz and glam, right? It's about overcoming hardship and dealing with Things in your situation and your family that are not ideal. It's about persevering and pushing forward and not giving up when things look abysmal, right? It's about keeping that spark of imagination and fantasy going that is so important to childhood that Sarah manages to do so well. It's about reaching out to others. It's about even when you're, you know, starving yourself, you're hungry yourself, you're thinking about other people. It's about making mistakes. And moving forward and all of this, right, that to me is what being a princess is. And that's what I see in this movie. So if I had to think of the pr- perfect princess movie, it's this one, right? There, Because there is glitz and glam, but she's still a princess even when all that falls away. And in fact, a deeper she gets a deeper sense of herself as a princess, as a girl, as the movie goes on. And she loses pretty much everything. Report to Mabel in the kitchen promptly at 5 a.m. I could have you arrested for taking this.
1: You're lucky I let you keep that doll. You
2: have the book, but another incident like this, and I will call the authorities. I expect you to remember, Sarah Crew. You're not a princess any longer.
0: This is interesting because I think the book comes out a century ago. The The movie adaptation, though, in 1995 is making an e- effort to kind of redefine Princess or kind of reorient us around this idea and emphasizing certain aspects of it and kind of de-emphasizing others. Since then, we've seen quite a lot of that, actually, within Princess, princess culture that – I think within the public consciousness, we've we've become more aware of the, those limitations of traditional princess culture, and we've seen new princesses that break outside of those modes. I'm curious, um, Sarah, are there other examples of kind of contemporary princesses that you feel like do something similar to what a Lindell princess is doing?
2: So... I do. I love the modern Disney princesses, and I feel like we've come a long way. And if you look at the history of princesses, right, they started out as so passive and so stereotyped. And in the mid '90s, when The little princess came out, it was the uh, a Little Mermaid and Jasmine and, and Beauty and the Beast. So It was a different kind of princess, but you know, more focused on romance and finding love and so on. Uh, princesses today are complex; they're uh, more nuanced. Uh, it's all about independence is what I think the princesses today are about. So, you know, going on your own personal adventure and discovering who you are, which I think is a really positive theme. But what I almost feel is, is we're moving almost in the wrong direction. We feel like we have to almost masculinize princesses mm-hmm. in a way, right? Forget about love. Forget about family. Like It's just about finding out who you are and yourself. And so how can we capture Right, All the complexities of a woman, right, her own vision of herself, finding out who she is, her relationships, um, yes, love, yes, romance, children, you know, all those things um, that encompass what a woman is. And so that's really hard to do in like a two-hour movie. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so clearly A Little Princess is just about childhood. But it's, again, the best that I've seen about representing what the complexities of girlhood is about to it, me in it, a princess context.
0: Yeah, it really does make an effort to represent a number of different girls that look different and act differently and come from different backgrounds. And And so, I mean, last week, our episode, we talked about intersectionality and the value of like looking at something like gender, right, through this prism of all these other intersecting identities. And I think a little princess without being, I don't know, Uh, agenda-driven or like preachy is like kind of speaking to say like speaking to the variety of of experiences that girls have and kind of validating them all and um and and in so doing it kind of creates that nuance
2: yeah yeah so in miss Minchin's house of girls right you have the bully some girls are kind of the bully and you have the victim and you have the spoiled little brat and you have like all of these stereotypes, I suppose, of girlhood. And they all kind of band together at the end in their shared vision of what it means uh, to be a girl, to be a
1: true friend. And how do we move forward from here? That's great. I love how when she first gets to Miss Minchin's school, she writes that letter to her dad and she says, I'm trying hard to obey the rules, but I get the feeling I'm doing something wrong. I That shook me when I heard that because it just reminded me of the way that like when we try to like adhere to what it means to be a princess or what it means to be a woman rather than just like what it means to be me or right. Like what do I think it means to be a princess when when we're not focusing on that, but focusing on what do people expect of me? It's really hard to like meet those requirements. Right. And so she's like, she's already awesome. She comes to the school and she's like, I'm, I'm doing something wrong. What am I doing? And in reality, she's like denying herself. Right. And so the idea that like everybody is a princess in a different way to me totally comes out in that line.
2: I, I love that view. And I think a lot of the pain that we put on ourselves as women are when we think we're not measuring up to what the perfect woman should be. Right? We all have this expectation, you know, if I, if I was a good person, if I was a good woman, I would be doing this, this, and this, and this. Yeah. Recognizing that there are so many different ways to do this life, right? And to appreciate, to validate, to love others for doing it differently is kind of the mark of humanity. Yeah.
0: Did you ever know a real Prince Maya? Yes,
2: Lucky's like father.
0: I thought he was in the army.
2: He was. And he was my prince, and I, his princess. But I mean real princes and princesses. All women are
0: princesses. It is our right.
2: One of my other favorite scenes is between Sarah and the little girl. I think her name is Lottie. She's like four or five. Yeah, yeah, uh yeah. The one that screams a lot. The one that screams (laughs) in tantrums all the time. Yeah. And... They're talking early on in the movie, and Becky, who is the other servant, you know, comes in the room, and I think she's sweeping. And Sarah goes, "You know, who's that?" And Lottie goes, "Oh, that's Becky, but we don't talk to her. Well, why not? Well, she's a servant here, and she has brown skin." And Sarah says, "Well, why should that matter?" And for 1914 or whenever, right? This this book was produced, or the time period it was in, right? We was a really important thing to show Sarah being able to go beyond the color of skin. And then her actions toward Becky throughout the rest of the whole film are so beautiful to suggest, you know, she's really internalized that. And she sees beyond skin color. She embraces Becky. They end up, right, there's a powerful scene later on where she says, you know, I think we're sisters. We're not just friends. Our bond is sisterhood. And then eventually they become adopted by uh, Sarah's father. right? And so it's such a powerful message here of seeing beyond first appearances that I love in that film.
0: Yeah, I like that you said sisterhood because I think that's another one of the strengths of this movie in my mind, is that it resists the idea that there's a singular individual princess, but that all of these girls are princesses in their own way. And that together, that they create this like kind of community of women that like need each other and the, the world needs. And I think that is like, a message that I think boys and girls definitely benefit from hearing.
2: Yeah, we're all kind of in this together. We need to support each other if we're going to make it through. And that's where Disney falls short. So typically in Disney, you have a princess or maybe two, right? Mm-hmm. If it's Frozen and their are sisters or something like that. But... This idea of everyone is a princess, and how can we use that knowledge to band together to make the world a better place is just absolutely stunning.
0: What are we going to do? A whole day with nothing to eat. Don't cry, Becky. I'm scared. If Minchin throws me out, I got no place to go. It's not true. I'm here with you always thought of us as sisters. You have? Let's make a promise right now to always look out for each other. It's a promise. I like this idea that the rules of Miss Minchin's household kind of function as a metaphor for the expectations that are placed upon girls and women. And I'm curious, based on the research you've both done, what are some of the things, what are the lessons that girls need to learn to be able to um, find themselves and kind of, uh, I don't know, navigate these expectations that society places on them.
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, Thank you for asking that. So uh, we often tell women that we value them for very specific things. So you have value if you have beauty, or if you look a certain way, or you only have value if you are a mother, right? And if you have children, or if you're soft and kind and don't rock the boat and just kind of be a helper, right? So what do you do if you're not that, right? If you don't have kids, if you're not the most beautiful person in the room, if you're loud and abrasive and independent and so on. How do you find your own value and your self-worth? So to me, this feels like a socialization question. And so what are the ways that we talk to little girls to help them find their value from a really young age? We often, and research has shown this, that we focus on the physical with little girls. We tell them all the time how cute they are, how beautiful they are, how pretty they are. And so it sets them up very early to believe that their worth is in the way that they look. And so something that I've tried to do in my own family is, yes, I tell my daughter and my sons that they're beautiful, but I try to do it in a way that highlights the things that they're doing, right? So, oh my gosh, like, you know, you worked so hard on that science fair project. That was a beautiful thing you did right there. Or your brother's a punk and you were not mean to him. And that mm-hmm. takes effort, right? That is a beautiful thing that you just did there. Um or you had this really big emotion that was hard for me to deal with, right? And you're tantruming or whatever, but it's beautiful that you can feel emotions so strongly and that you're so passionate about things, right? And so the way that we talk to children, the words that we use matter and helping little girls and little boys understand their own self-worth, right? How much that they matter, how much their potential is, um, outside of external forces is, well, I think one of the parents' biggest jobs. And parents can really mess it up, let's be frank, right? Yeah. Frankly, yeah, they really can. And then when kids don't conform to gender stereotypes, um, that's okay. Like sending that message, that's okay. Because from the peer group from the world, right, when you don't conform to gender stereotypes, uh, you get picked on really badly. So I have a son who's six years old who loves girl stuff. He loves princesses. He loves Elsa. He loves ballet right? He loves that. So my job as a parent is to help him understand, I just love Liam for being Liam. Like, it is who he is. And that's okay. Like, embrace those different parts of himself and that I'm going to love him no matter who this kid is, right? And then when he gets negative voices, which he does, right, from kids at school who already pick on him, and it breaks your heart as a parent, right to understand that your worth does not change no matter what somebody else says about you you got to figure out who you are and that's going to be different from somebody else and that's totally beautiful
1: yeah uh, along with that it's like learning to value femininity as well right in boys and girls because i feel a lot of the times like you're talking about your son he like likes to do girly things which is awesome but people are like making fun of him for it and it's because i i feel like in general, in our society, we value females who act like males, right? It's like, oh, she's so dominant. She's so assertive. And that's so impressive. That's like the way it's moving. Right, yeah. right. And which is great if you have a dominant woman. But it's right. also great if you have a really emotional one, right? Like learning to value things that are stereotypically feminine in males and females, I think can send a really strong message to both our little girls and our little boys, right? That like they don't have to conform to some gender stereotype Liam can do dress up if he wants to and you know Hannah can play football if she wants to or right she can be assertive and Liam can cry or or whatever it is that feminine things are valued just as much as masculine things and I mean I guess that's not particularly speaking to how can we help girls but I feel like it does it comes back around to help girls because boys are learning too that like oh being feminine is cool too right there's nothing inherently negative about that
2: and again there's so many ways to do this Right. Yeah. So a girl can totally love ballet and yeah. be kind and, you know, all the girly things. And that's great, too. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And we can value that in our society. And she can want to be a stay at home mom and be have lots of babies and all of that, you know, and we can value that, which is so in, it's a, such a different conversation we would have been having, say, in the 1950s. Right. Or so on, because we're, we're almost moving a little bit too far where we don't value. Right femininity as much anymore That's, which is interesting
0: you guys you both make great points that in some respects this movie is powerful because it speaks to the need that we have as parents as adults to help our children find a sense of value within themselves regardless of how they correspond with these expectations that are placed on with them uh, on society but then savannah you also make a great point that part of that is just celebrating femininity Right. That sometimes it's not so much that whether whether or not we correspond with the expectations that are given us. It's it's that those expectations inherently are flawed in that they they value the masculine over the feminine too often. And is there an opportunity that we have to to privilege um, traditionally feminine traits and like and advocate for those uh, help cultivate those in our kids? That's great. So Sarah, this has been really fascinating. Um, Just thinking about how we've traditionally understood princesses and how a little princess of recontextualizes that and like helps us think about new ways of understanding girlhood. I'm curious, going forward from here, what are some other opportunities we have to improve our understanding of the experience of girls and of princesses in particular?
2: Yeah, so I love this movie. I think it's the best princess culture movie that I've ever found. So I hope Disney, right, could listen, hopefully, right, watch the movie, listen to your podcast, that'd be kind of fun. There you go, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, and um, expand on that. Because what I find that Disney does, and that's where the power is in terms of princess culture is Disney, right, is that they really fixate on a certain part of being a girl or kind of whatever is the social context of the time, and then they kind of do movie after movie after movie Pretty similar. And so, again, if we can figure out a way to encompass all that is girlhood with all the different complexities, with the femininity, the masculinity, androgyny, all of that together, right? That's what we need to do next. Showing that girls have power, not because they act like men, not because they actually act like women, but because they're power in themselves. And the power is the diversity of women, the many, many different ways that you can be a girl.
0: I love this. Thanks so much, Sarah, for coming on today and sharing your perspective on this movie and also some of your research. Um, uh, I think so many of our listeners would be interested in like, reading more about some of the conclusions that you've come to in your work. Thanks so much for coming on.
2: Thank you for having me on.
0: And thank you, Savannah. We've really appreciated to hear your thoughts uh, and your research as well. Now, before we move on to the end of the episode, I do wanna take a couple minutes for listener feedback. First, uh, we have a question regarding our conversation of a little princess for our audience. Uh, we wanna know, um, given this new kind of expanded definition of princesses that we've talked about today, what? who are your top three princesses? So hop on social media, at Movies As Mirrors, on Instagram and Facebook, And uh, tell us your top three princesses. And get creative. We are excited to hear um, what princesses you come up with. And then um, a few episodes ago, when we had our Sundance episode, we asked our listeners about a scene from a film that they felt best represents female empowerment. Colby Lynn says, uh, anything with Meryl Streep, but um, the wife was the last one of hers that depicted perfectly the parts of My 18-year marriage that I watched, and I forgave myself when I acted the way that she was acting in the film. She goes on to say, it was a different kind of empowered than some might think when asked about empowerment, but that's how I felt. Liam shared that he appreciated how Annette Benning's character in 20th Century Women asks two other women to help her teach her son about life, admitting that she doesn't have all the answers herself, but at the same time also feeling confident as a single mother. So we appreciate uh, our listeners giving their responses. Uh, Please uh, remember uh, questions. If you have uh, movies that you want us to talk about, issues that you want us to talk about, hop on social media, find us on Facebook and Instagram. We love to hear what you have to say. Um, uh, Just uh, to end our episode today, I want to thank our producers, Madison Rausch, Liam Howard, along with Dan Ankenman. And uh, our next episode, we'll be talking with Eric D. Snyder, funny person, sometimes film critic. He's going to be talking about the film Henry Gamble's Birthday Party, along with our friend and past guest of the show, Elena Bender. So we'll see you next episode.